0: Gentlemen are going to come and wait on you for the offering this morning, and while they do that, I want to give you a couple of announcements. As Dave said, there are a number of things in your bulletin. Make sure you read them carefully so you don't miss out on anything. Invitations to our Christmas Eve services, all of them will be Christmas Eve, same time here this morning, 9 o'clock, another one at 1045, another one right after that at 1:30 on Christmas Eve, and it's an opportunity for you to invite some friends to be a part of their fellowship together. Dave is I believe, beyond uh, compare, putting together a great event that you're going to want to make sure your friends and family come to. So those are just some unique invitations to be able to invite them to that. Family experience is this morning, the last one of the year. Now it will pick up back in again in January. But uh, that is this morning, 10 minutes after the service is done. Take your kids' Kid Stuff Theater and learn about the life application of the month. And you understand that specifically for the month of December. Tuesday night is family night, dinner and Christmas caroling. We go to a number of nursing homes around the area. If you've never done that before, this ought to be the time you do that. Today's the last day to sign up for it. It is one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do, especially as a family, to be able to go to a number of nursing homes and share the glory and grace of God. So if you want to join us, your children obviously in Upstreet need to sign up today for that. And then on Wednesday night, December the 6th, 6 p.m., you'll notice in your bulletin, Dinner for Young Adults, kind of a, a, a ministry that we're trying to expand in a little bit of a different way. And so if you're a young adult and would love to come on Wednesday night for that dinner at 6 o'clock, look that information in your bulletin so you won't miss out on anything and be a part of that. Every <clears throat> hey, sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, I want you to take them out and you'll give you the opportunity to follow along with us. As we conclude for December, James, today at the end of chapter 2, when I planned this series a number of weeks ago, I thought I got 10 weeks to finish James. Here we're only finishing chapter 2, so we'll pick up back in January at some particular point. How many of you remember those crazy things your parents used to say, or maybe even you have used? I asked my kids when they were home for Thanksgiving, what's one of the dumber things you've heard me say? Now, the list was pretty long, so they had to narrow it down to a few. The one, of course, that came out immediately from my oldest daughter, you want me to give you something to cry about? <laughs> and her answer was always, no, I think I've already found it. You don't notice that I'm crying. And I love the one driving at 60, 65 miles an hour on a lane where you can drive 65 miles an hour. The dad who said, Do you want me to come back there? I'm not right at this moment. That would be great. But one of the ones that I love the most, what do you think? I'm stupid? Now how are you going to, if you're a kid, how are you going to answer that question? And this is of course my favorite that my dad used on a number of occasions, you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't come running to me. <laughs> Probably won't. I love the fact that you say it though, just so I know that I can't come running to you. And of course there's the one that you have as the classic one in your sermon notes this morning. Don't do as I do, do what? As I say. James, who we've been studying over the last few weeks, would totally disagree. He would say, hey, just so you know, your actions speak way louder than your words. i got to believe at some point or the other you've heard an actor or a football player or some kind of a high-profile person mention their relationship with God in some acceptance speech, and you find yourself wondering are they believers? I mean, do they believe like us? James would say, if you watch them long enough, you'll be able to tell. And for honest, he'd say that about any of us who claim that we're followers of Christ. If you watch them long enough, listen to them carefully, I guarantee you, you'll be able to tell. The more you get to know Jesus... The more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll want to be like Him. And the deeper you go in that relationship with Him, the more it will affect your behavior. Your beliefs will always affect your behavior. And the depths of those beliefs will greatly determine how you live. Let me give you just a few examples. If you believe that truth is found in the Word of God, if you believe that truth is found in the Word of God, you'll what? You'll read it. You'll spend time in it. In a world with so many different values and so many things that they say that truth is, and you have to believe that or you have to believe this, if you and I believe that truth is found, ultimate truth is found in the Word of God, then you'll read it. And not just glance through it so that I can get through it, but you'll read it and really want to process it. If you honestly believe that when this life is over, you will stand before Almighty God and give an account as to the life you've lived, you'll what? You'll live like that. If you honestly believe that you'll answer to God for your behavior, then you'll live like it. If you honestly believe that people without Christ are lost and that lost people will not find heaven, then you'll what? Share your faith. If you honestly believe that people without Christ are lost and that you know the way because you found Jesus and you know the way to heaven is through him, then you're going to want to share your faith. Your behavior will always follow your belief system. And your belief system will be changed when you embrace Christ. I want to show you a video clip this morning of an unusual person most of us probably in the room know who once he accepted Jesus, his life was changed, and he could not keep it to himself.
1: There was nine in our family. My mom brought so many people to the Lord, and uh, she brought all of her brothers and sisters to the Lord. All my life, it's been really important to me to tell people about Jesus. I wanted my brother to know the gospel. I knew he was so strong, I mean, and, and a leader. He was gonna lead you, either good or bad, but he was, he was going to lead. Well, I needed some help, and I knew who would be that help, it would be Bill Smith. I just started asking him to come. I said, I want you to meet my brother. And I went in and started talking to him. It was one of those occasions where we both liked each other. And so then, when we finished the the, the, the study, uh, we took him down and baptized him. He's the same Phil, except the Holy Spirit's in him. I praise God for what He's doing for the Lord's Kingdom. It changed their lives. It changed Kay's life. It changed their kids' lives. I mean, it was like it's just it was unbelievable to to watch. It was like a miracle, and it's just you're just watching this total change. And no one comes to his house. And, leave, and they don't leave without knowing, without hearing the gospel.
2: My life before Jesus, ha. My problem at 28, I didn't know what my problem was. That was the problem. Before I met Jesus, I didn't know that Satan controlled me. I didn't know that in a moment of weakness or maybe on God's part, I sat down and what I heard, the good news about Jesus, stunned me. I said, Let me get this right. Freed from Satan, freed from sin, freed from guilt. Whew, that's a big one. Peace of mind. Free from law. You don't have to be perfect anymore and finally free from the grave, that's what Jesus does. I'm thinking, uh, that'd be a home run. I'm rich and I'm somewhat famous, but neither one of those things can remove my sin or raise me from the dead. They can't help me at all. Therefore, I prioritized Jesus and the blood he shed for my rotten sins and the resurrection. I am thankful to the Almighty for rescuing me from that hell hole. never arrived, but I'm a lot better than I was. So from there, since I had heard it, I thought, well, one thing's for sure, I'm going to try my best to make sure that all these poor souls weren't in the same shape I was in. If it's up to me, I'm going to make sure they know at least the story about Jesus. I'm going to try to get it in their ears if they'll listen. Amazingly. Tens of thousands have responded in a positive way to Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, I take them one at a time, try to help them. I was helped at 28. I'm now 69, one year shy of 70. So I've been at that for about the last 41 years.
0: I got to believe most of us know who he was, or at least at some point have seen Duck Dynasty or know Phil Robinson's story. What's fascinating about that is his sister-in-law who said, I know, he was changed. I mean, it was obvious. You could see the change. When he accepted Christ, he was changed. It was evident. It was obvious. And then, obviously, he shared his story. And the end of that context, he's essentially saying this. This is too good to keep. It's changed my life. It's too good to keep. And you want to share it with everyone you know. So, if indeed you believe. Truth is in the Word of God, you'll read it. If indeed you believe, we will answer to God for how we live the life He's given us, then we'll live like it if we honestly believe the truth is found in the Word of God. People without Christ are lost, then we're going to share our faith. Your beliefs will always dictate and determine your behavior. It won't be perfect, but it will impact in a very significant way the life that you live. James would say your beliefs will determine your behavior. Your faith in Christ will affect your lifestyle. You won't want to keep what you've found in Jesus to yourself. Let's read the text this morning as we conclude chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 14 to the end. I won't read it all, but I'm going to read a significant piece of it. What good is it? Now, he's built a case on who Christ is and what he does and the fact that in Christ your life will be changed. All right? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but you don't see it? There's no deeds. Can that faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you go to them, said, go in peace, be warm, and be fed, and you do nothing about their physical needs? What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accomplished or accompanied by action, is dead. Now, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish person, do you really want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he goes on with two examples of two people who couldn't be more different from one another. Neither one who were perfect. Very few would have ever put them in the same context, let alone the same paragraph. And then he concludes in verse 26 by saying this. As the body without the spirit is dead, So faith without evidence, without works, without what I can see, is dead. This is incredibly powerful and for some a difficult section of Scripture. A lot of material, but I really believe that when we fully understand what he's saying in the last couple of weeks, it will change our lives. James is not saying... That we have to prove our faith by doing good works or that doing good works will be a means of earning our way into heaven or a way of putting you into good graces of God. There are a lot of religions all around the world who try to do good things to earn God's favor or to earn the God's favor. They'll sacrifice, sacrifice their kids, sacrifice all kinds of things, cut themselves, do rituals, whatever, to try to earn God's favor. That's not the essence of what James is saying at all. The primary point of this passage is that saving or living faith, like any other living thing, produces something. And in this case, living faith produces good works. And James concludes that if there aren't any good works, if I don't see it, then maybe that faith you claim to have is dead. And if I don't see it demonstrated in some obvious way, not immediately, not every day, not every moment, but if I watch your life and I don't see any evidence of that, i got to wonder, is it really real? Not what you say, but the life that you live. Now, Scripture all the way through the Bible talks about different degrees of faith. Jesus, on a number of occasions, said to his disciples, Oh, you of what? Little faith. Weak faith or little faith needs to be strengthened, needs to grow. But dead faith, in your sermon notes, needs a resurrection. Some in the room may have wounded faith. Mary and Martha, when they lost their brother and Jesus didn't respond to them in time, have wounded faith. Wounded faith may need a healing. Some may have shaky faith, one who came to Jesus and, wanted to be healed and wanted his family to be healed or his son to be healed. And Jesus said, do you have faith? He said, I have faith. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me with a shaky faith. I'm not sure what to do with it. And shaky faith needs stability. But what do you do when you have dead faith? Well, two choices. Bury it or resurrect it. Now, some people have a hard time with a section of Scripture. This whole idea of faith and works and how they fit together seems inconsistent with the gospel of grace. Martin Luther, the reformer that many celebrated in evangelical and many other worlds just a few weeks ago, had a hard time with James' gospel, especially this particular section of Scripture, because somehow he saw it inconsistent with the gospel of salvation by grace alone. Now, you got to remember, he came out of a system of legalism that you had to do good works to earn God's favor. He totally resonated with Paul's passages on amazing grace, not by works. We maintain that a person is justified by faith alone. There is no one declared to be righteous in Romans. We are saved not because of the things we've done, but because of his mercy. He loved those verses. Scriptures like that, or what set him free. Ones like this troubled him. Felt that James and Paul contradicted one another, but they didn't. James and Paul are defending the same truth against two different enemies, which is why you have to read the whole Bible. So many people pick a verse or two here, this is my verse, this is my verse, I like that one, that defends my theology, that defends my stand. You cannot build your theology on a verse of Scripture. You build your theology on the Word of God. If I'm going to build my theology on prayer, I'm picking one verse, ask whatever you want and I'll do it. I love that verse. Right? A whole theology on prayer, that one verse, ask anything you want. God, you have, you have no idea how large my list is. And then I read in James when he said, you better check your motives. And I went, oh, okay. And then I read in John when he said, you got to abide in me and I abide in you. you got to get life from me. You're just the end of the branch. I'm where you get life. And then you can ask. And I went, oh, okay. Now it's a little bit more defined. You've got to take the whole word of God and develop your theology on who God is. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Paul fought the enemy of legalism. That by your good works, you can earn salvation. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, you're in. That's what Paul was trying to defend. Because the bad news in that is you'll wear yourself out and you'll never know whether you've done enough. How many when you die, you want to go to heaven? Just a few of you? Are you kidding me? Where the rest of you want to go? How many of you when you die want to go to heaven? All right, you don't have to feel free or like you're Pentecostal if you raise your hand here, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) So when you die, how do you know you got there? How do you know you're going to get there? How do you know he's going to let you in? What do you think the standard answers when I ask that question all the time are? Well, I'm hoping my good works outweigh my bad. I'm hoping I've done it. I went to church. I gave money. I gave money in the offering plate. I was there almost every Sunday. I went to CAC. Certainly that counts for something. Right? And the list is endless. And I've asked this question for the last 45 years. And I get all kinds of answers. I've asked it to religious people, I've asked it to non-religious people. And this huge array of answers are enormous. All of them are, I've done this, I did that, I said this, I went there, on and on the list goes. And and the problem is, I'm imperfect, God is perfect, I want to go to heaven, and I can't get there by my imperfection. But boy, am I going to try. So I go to church, I'll teach a class, I'll give some money, I'll attend, I'll pray, I'll read the Bible. All of those kind of things in an effort that somewhere along the way, all of my good stuff outweighs my bad. And the problem with that is, number one, you'll wear yourself out because you're trying to try. And secondly, you'll never know for sure that if all of those things are what he expects. And so let me just tell you now, they're not. What does he want? And what is the answer as to why he would let you in? I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've given my life over to him, and he's controlling my life. And I'm pretty sure, Jesus, you could tell. That's what Paul was trying to deal with, is that they were constantly trying. They understood. They clearly understood that it was by grace that they've been saved through faith, not of themselves. And they knew they've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his love while we were sinners, he died. They understood all of that. Problem was, Paul wasn't addressing another issue, he was addressing this issue of legalism, James was saying, look, I understand all of that, but now I'm dealing with people who just simply spew the words, and there's no evidence of that. And so he's writing to that group, dealing with that issue, because some believe that it really doesn't matter as long as I believe, and James says that's not true. As not true over here, that by your works you're going to get into heaven. This isn't true either. That just simply saying you believe isn't enough. I've got to see evidence of the lifestyle change. That's why you know that it really has taken place. Because what you do reveals whether or not you have living faith. Because living faith, by virtue of what it is, produces life. James is confronting those who believe that you have that belief but see no difference in their lives at all. The most natural evidence of living faith is what you see in your sermon notes. The most natural indicator of the life of Christ in you is the life of Christ coming from you. The most natural indicator of the life of Christ in you is the life of Christ coming from you. How do you tell when someone's faith is dead? Simple, (laughs) no signs of life. Even demonic faith has indications of life. At least they show fear. James is saying faith without some signs of life is dead. If you and I got together this afternoon, went down to Digger Young's place, and went into the morgue, and there was a dead body laying there, you don't have to be a doctor to know it's dead. Right? It's dead. If you're not sure, hook up a monitor to it. No signs of life. It's dead. But how do you tell when it comes to determining whether or not someone is spiritually dead? You can tell when they're physically dead, but how do you tell spiritually speaking? Physically dead people don't talk. If they do, you probably won't stay in the morgue very long. (laughs) But spiritually dead people, boy, they can talk. So how do you tell? Three indicators here that I want to share with you this morning. dozen different ways. I'm not going to be able to do them all this morning. I just want to stay with James. How do you tell that James says, let me give you a couple of clues. Empty words, empty words, phony compassion, and shallow convictions. First indicator, empty words. They talk the talk, they just don't walk the walk. Instead of words that build up, they tear down. And in case you're not sure what that one means, he said, I'm going to spend a whole chapter, number three, chapter three, telling you what that one looks like. Instead of building up or encouraging, the tongue has the power to give life or to give death. And it just isn't there. The words are shallow. What you do is a far clearer indicator of what you believe than what you say you believe. Titus 1.16, if it's not your sermon notes, write it down there somewhere. They claim to know God, but, but by their actions, they deny that. Second indicator, phony compassion. Suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food, and you say, hey, be warm and be filled. I'll be praying for you. Hope it goes well. James is not saying that you and I have to take on all the needs of the world. That that weight no one can bear. It's just being aware of those around you and, and caring naturally, not because you're supposed to, But because you want to, and in some cases, you don't even notice that you're doing it. It just becomes a natural outcoming of who you are and your relationship with Jesus. You recognize, as Phil said, all that he's done for me. I love his list of things that that he's done. Because of all of that, I just want to, it just comes out naturally. Not because you have to or you're supposed to, but it just is there. And And it exudes out of that. It, it may be those you have relationships with, brother or sisters, not that you're actually related to your brother or sister, but the people you're connected to in some way or the other. James is confronting the difference between saying and doing. Saying you care without some sort of behavior that indicates you do, it's just kind of useless, he would say. Brandon Manning, one of my favorite authors in his book, Abbott's Child*, or Abbott's Child, if you've never read it, you have to. He said, the Christian life is a concrete, visible, noticeable way of living in this world by daily choices consistent with your faith. The Christian life is lived out in a noticeable way in this world by daily choices that are consistent with living faith. Commitment that isn't visible in some way, maybe just an illusion. Jesus confronted that constantly. All the way through the New Testament, By dealing with people who were religious, but no essence of a relationship. And it was pretty obvious. It's not what you say you believe, it's how it's lived out in your daily living. And I'm telling you, others notice. Third indicator of shallow conviction. Someone will say, you have faith, I have D's. Let me show you. Your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Now, good works can be done without the life of God in you. I know a lot of people who are non-believers who do good things. What James is saying here is that you cannot have the life of God within you without it coming from you. You all, at some point or the other, somebody you've been around at times who doesn't know Jesus is nicer than some of the people you know who know Jesus. Nobody here in this room. But I got to believe that every once in a while, you've run into someone who doesn't know Jesus, who seems nicer than some of the people who claim to know Jesus. I won't even ask you to raise your hand on that one. Right? James is saying, I'm telling you, you can't have the life of Christ in you if it doesn't come out from you. In Mark chapter 2, four friends who lowered a friend into, I mean, they took the roof off so that they could get him to Jesus. He said this fascinating statement, seeing their faith, it was evident, it was visible. He saw their faith, not in what they said, but in what they did. Saying it isn't enough. Even saying you believe it doesn't mean much, according to verse 19. You say you believe in one God? Good, even demons believe that. Matter of fact, they believe it so much it makes them fear. They have more an awareness that all will answer to God someday than maybe some of you. Weak faith needs strengthened. Shallow faith needs to grow. Shaky faith needs stability. Dead faith needs a resurrection. Dead faith needs life put into it or you'll die without any faith. And believe me, you don't want to die without faith. So how do you tell if your faith is alive? Let me show you some trees. How do you tell if your faith is alive? When you look at these trees, you know what they are? They're dead or alive? You're not sure. Now look at them. Now you can tell, right? Weren't sure before. They all looked dead, but you weren't really sure. There was no signs of life. There was no leaves, no fruit, no evidence. But now when you see it, you say, okay, yep, I get that. They're alive. They've got evidence. I can see that. Oh, it's easy to tell the difference between a dead tree and a living tree, right? Signs of life. Once you see it, you not only know what kind of tree it is, you can tell whether it's alive or not. James said, what good is it if you claim to have faith and it's not evident? I can't see it. Can genuine, authentic, real faith in Christ find expression in a confession of right doctrine? Practically speaking, can you get all emotional, even mellow, during a worship service in here and have it not affect your life out there? James would say, no. If what we sing and what we say and what we believe and, and all of that only impacts us in here, and there's no evidence out there. He said, i got to question whether or not what you say you have is real. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a TV evangelist and jump up on a stage everywhere and share your faith and love the whole world and give all your money away. He never says that at all. He's just simply saying the more we're around you, the more evident it is that the life of Christ is in you because I see it all over the place. I see it in the way you respond. I see it in the way you speak. I see it in the way you talk. I see it in the way you love. I see it in the way you act. I see it in how you treat the people around you. I see how you treat one another. It's obvious. True, genuine faith always changes the heart. And a result of that heart change, as Bill said this morning, is activity. I just want to share it. I want to tell it. He goes on in this chapter, one of the most fascinating pieces in all the New Testament to me because he uses two examples of people that he's talking about who certainly were not perfect at all. Both of them made horrible mistakes and bad choices. He chose these two characters, I believe, who were polar opposites to make a point. Now think about it for a moment. Even if you don't know anything about biblical history, most of us have heard the name Abraham. The three major religions of the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all point to Abraham as one of their pillars. But Rahab, prostitute mentioned here in chapter 2, she wouldn't have been mentioned in the same chapter, let alone the same paragraph, let alone two examples of living faith. But yet he does it. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Now, James isn't contradicting himself. He's simply saying that validated promise or premise that he made earlier, faith isn't something you merely express with words. You live it out, and it's obvious, and it's evident. You see that faith and the actions going together. And in verse 22, it said His faith was made complete by the display of an activity. It's like the tree illustration we said before. If a tree bears fruit, you recognize that it has life. Now, obviously, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? they got Christmas trees all over the place. How many of you have a a Christmas tree in your house? Not yet, but you will at some point. All right. Here again, you're allowed to raise your hand if you put a tree in your home. All right. Most of us will have a tree in our home at some point or the others. But in most cases, that tree is what? Dead. Because you cut it off from the source of life. Now I get it, sometimes every once in a while they'll dig one up and and take it in their home and put it in a big barrel or a bucket of some kind so they can go back out and plant it because they're tree huggers and all. It's great. (laughs) Awesome. I go to Cypress Tree Farm, whack that thing down, put it in a stand and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's dead. It's been cut off from the source of life. You can decorate it you make it look really pretty. Boy, I'm telling you, is there an illustration in there somewhere about spiritual things? You know, look good. Shine it up. Put a lot of decorations on it. Lights on it. I love Jesus. You know, and all those kinds of things. It makes it real look pretty. But if you leave it in your living room till Easter, you'll know it's dead. It'll be dead all over your floor. Right? How do you tell whether someone who raises a hand, says a prayer, signs a card that their faith is real? James would say, watch their life. You'll be able to tell. And if you can't tell, let's go back to that original decision and help you better understand the decision you've made. God comes to Abraham and said, look, I want you to trust me with everything you have, the most valuable thing you have, your son. And I want to see if you trust me enough, because all I've made to you, Abraham, is promises. All I've ever made to you is promises. Someday your family's going to be so great to be the bigger than the sands of the sea. You believe that? Because it's all promises. How many of you have been to heaven and come back? You can raise your hand. I mean, we'll be all right with that. <laughs> Not a one of you been to heaven. We. But you believe you're going to go there? Why, well, you ever been there? Huh. But you believe, right? And that belief impacts your behavior and your theology and your understanding of death and life and all of those kinds of things. Friday was an unusual day. I went to hospice and visited a lady who when I saw the picture beside her was stunning. And I saw visually what cancer does to some bodies. And I, I really, I've been doing this for 40 years. I really had a hard time. But when I listened to her and I listened to her, her husband, and their unbelievable faith that the moment she leaves this world, she'll Jesus face to face. Now, that's living faith. Not what I say I believe. It's not words that I spew out. It's not just great theology that I sing about. It's real. I went from that emotional valley to being a part of a wedding ceremony of a girl I've watched grow up since she was six. and So the emotional roller coaster was mind-numbing just on Friday alone. But for the last three days, all I can think about is his
1: unbelievable faith.
0: That has lived out in his emotions and his, his very being. It's not just something he's telling me so that I think he gets it. I saw it. It's obvious. Abraham, do you trust me with everything you have? Even though right now it just only promises. Yeah, I do. Then I want your son. Okay. Not what he said he believed. It's the activity that went with that. And obviously, if you know the story, God didn't actually take his son. Rahab, verse 22, 23, it goes on with her story. Her story is found in Joshua chapter 2. and The spies were spying out the promised land, and they went in to kind of observe things. And Rahab took some of them in and protected their lives. And she makes this statement, when I heard about your God, I knew that he was And it really wasn't saying it. It just wasn't spewing out the words. She demonstrated that, in this case, just simply by hiding the spies and protecting them. A couple of things stood out about using these two people. One is they couldn't have been more different from one another. But it continued to remind me that no matter how great we are or how bad we've been, God can use us in amazing ways. And obviously, the overarching premise for both of them is it wasn't their words, it was their faith. So, how do you tell someone has a living faith? You see it. Life has changed, the attitudes change, our desires change. We find ourselves treating people differently. We genuinely care for others. We look for ways to encourage those around us, not to put them down, but to build them up. We look for ways to make a difference. Most times you don't even have to think about it. It just comes naturally. You you see needs and you respond. You go through life with a different set of eyes that looks for ways to heal, ways to build up, not to tear down. You make good decisions that you know will stand the test of time. And you know you'll stand before Almighty God and give an answer to the life you've lived. And you want to use then this wise gift well. Because to be honest with you, none of us have any guarantee of how long it will be. It could be 12, it could be 112. I want to go way before that. But anywhere in between, it really doesn't matter. You know you found life in Jesus, and you really want to pass that on to others. Brendan Manning says in the final analysis, faith is not the sum of our beliefs or a way of thinking or a way of speaking. It is a way of living. We don't need more theories about Jesus. We need to make them real. In our lives, in the lives of those around us, only that can really validate and verify what we say we believe. If you really want to know what a person believes, don't always listen to what they say. Watch what they do. And if it doesn't come from the inside and there's no life, your only hope is to invite Jesus clearly confidently for certain into your life and fully surrender to him and allow that process of growth and development to take place in your life because i'm telling you it is visible you can put ornaments on it you can make the tree look really alive but you and i know it's not and it won't last once you get to know christ Deepen your walk with him and his word. Fall in love with him. And when that happens, actions will come naturally in your notes, not because you have to, but because you want to. That just flows from the inside out, which would be a great subject title for this series. Let's pray. Father, your word is so powerful. It paints portraits that are obvious and evident. I love the fact that I don't have to wonder what you're trying to say. I don't have to try to figure it out. You're pretty clear. And so for this, my CAC family who sits here this morning, I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that the people around him recognize the changes within them and they understand how to flesh that out and how to live it out. Help us to help each other in that journey. If there's somebody here this morning who really honestly can honestly admit, you know what, doesn't matter whether I'm perfect or not or any of that stuff, but I just, I'm not really sure. I'm hearing you talk this morning and I'm just not sure. I remember somewhere along the way I I signed a card, I, I, I raised my hand at a service, but If I were really honest and if I were to ask my family, they wouldn't see a difference. Would you pray for me? Would you have the courage this morning? If you can keep your heads bowed, that'd be awesome. But if you have the courage this morning, could you raise your hand and tell me you're one of those people? Okay. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. I love you, God, because you know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know where we're at. You know where we're sitting this morning. You know what our life is like. You know what we're all about. And I love the fact that you don't reject us, even with all of our junk. But you embrace us and accept us and invite us into this wonderful relationship with you. And the deeper we walk in that relationship, the more exciting and genuine it becomes. So allow that to be who we are. And when we walk out that door and into the world around us throughout this week, may it be so obvious and evident, not because it's Christmas season and we put on a smile, or we say Merry Christmas when someone who doesn't want to, but it just simply exudes from us, and they can tell. May that be us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Ten minutes from now, family experience. Next Sunday morning, behind the scenes, characters of Christmas. And if you have a friend you want to invite to our series for the next three Sundays, it be a great time to do it. God bless you. Have a great day. If I can pray for you, I'd be honored to do that. You come this way.